It's Monday, February 22nd. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill, joining me in studio today from Stock Advisor Canada, Taylor Muckerman, and from Million Dollar Portfolio, Jason Moser. Happy Monday, gents. You happy do. Monday. It is a happy Monday. Gorgeous weekend. Nice weather out there, isn't it? Nice weather. You know, the groundhog was right. <laughs> We're getting closer and closer to spring. I feel like we've escaped the snow forever. God, I hope so. No, you just jinxed us. <laughs> Did I? Way to go, Moser. Thanks. So. Sorry. All right, we're going to talk oil and gas. We're going to dip into the full mailbag. Let's start with lumber liquidators. Stock falling 16% after the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention said that exposure to formaldehyde in the company's flooring was greater than it had calculated earlier in the month and that people exposed to the flooring are about three times more likely to get cancer than previously estimated. And let me just say that one more time. <laughs> three times more likely to get, not the flu, not the common cold. Not even E. coli. Cancer than previously estimated. Holy cow. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. I don't want to make light of this. I mean, I feel like at some point we're going to run into a scandal where someone at the CDC is caught Having shorted Chipotle and lumber liquidators for like the past year <laughs> and like leaking headlines. But I mean, the bottom line is that this is precisely, this is exactly the, the one thing that they didn't need. I mean, just the one thing they didn't need. And, you know, I mean, it's not like it was some new finding, it's a correction from a previous report, which means that this has been going on for that whole time. And, and when you, when you, Magnified that risk by three times its original estimate. I mean, you know that that's going to freak a lot of people out. Um, I mean, I think lumber liquidators for a long time they obviously did a very good job in selling flooring at rock bottom prices, and I think homeowners for the most part, you know, enjoyed being able to afford that, and and it worked out very well for them. It always kind of struck us as this is just a sort of a commodity producer. What do they do that makes them so special that they can charge those kinds of prices? And I think now we're starting to kind of figure out exactly what's going on here. And I'm not not saying that they're necessarily um, there's I'm not saying there's something nefarious going on here, but I think this is something that it was even beyond their knowledge, which is still no excuse. I mean, right? Ignorance is still no defense, even even if they didn't know about what was going on. And so I think this is just a great example of what. Headline risk can do uh, to to any business. If we talk about Chipotle and what they've done in getting through all of this E. coli stuff, and even even the I was telling you before taping about the the John Oliver piece over the weekend, the Chipotle scheme. I mean, it was hilarious. Like if you're a Chipotle shareholder, consumer, whatever. I mean, you just you watch that piece. It's funny, but I, I mean, the one thing we've said Chipotle needs to avoid from this point on. Is any type of headline risk. And if a month from now the CDC puts out an article that says, hey, you know what? There were signs of E. coli in just one Chipotle restaurant. I mean, that is going to be just it, it just more trouble than they, than they can deal with. And so, and so, I mean, we're seeing lumber liquidators dealing with the same kind of thing right now. This was the last thing they honestly needed. Can they recover from this? Sure. But has the brand, um, does, does the brand maintain? Any sort of credibility here? I I just don't know at this point. I mean, this again was just the the one thing they really didn't need. Wouldn't they internally test for that? I mean, well, I mean that was imagine. always the question, right? I mean, because it was a question number one of not only the hardwood flooring but the laminate flooring, its suppliers, the testing that was going on at the suppliers, were those tests up to standards that would be, uh, you know, in line with standards of testing here? And I mean, there are just so many. 
it seemed like just kind of like Chipotle's uh, supply chain w- was a little bit less transparent, a little, mm-hmm. little bit less easy to pinpoint. I think that uh, Lumber Liquidators, you know, was also faced with a little bit of a less uh, than transparent supply chain, yeah. which probably makes it a little bit more difficult for them to to figure out. And then ultimately, you know, you have the CDC, which is seen as like the ultimate you know authority here, uh, and, and when they come out with something. You know, and it's cancer. I mean, it's E. coli is bad, but you know you can recover. Like you were saying, Chris. I mean, this this is the worst. <laughs> you never want to have the word cancer no. in any statement with your company unless the word curing, yeah, curing exactly. appears yeah. right before it. Exactly. <laughs> to Jason's point about the brand and this company surviving, I feel like they can survive. I don't feel like they can survive with this brand. I don't. I don't yeah. see how. They don't have some sort of overhaul, and maybe it comes with being bought by someone else. Maybe, um, but then again, if you're if you're someone like Home Depot or Lowe's, I don't think you need to buy a lumber liquidator. So I'm not even sure who would who would be looking to buy this company. Yeah, I think I think it's a permanently scarred name, not for only for consumers but for investors too. I mean, you've seen time after time the stock sells off. I feel like. It's a monthly thing um, over the last year or so. Uh, so I think a name change or being acquired, but you'd have to really take a, a pretty broad risk to acquire a company like this wholly. I feel like I mean at least with Chipotle, I mean the burritos just damn good. Yeah, you know I mean <laughs> E. coli risk aside, I was still going there probably more often during all of this because the lines were shorter. I don't think that lumber liquidators can quite fall back on this is just some really quality flooring here. Right. Bottom line, it was just rock bottom priced flooring, and you could probably find that at Home Depot or Lowe's, like you said. And uh, people are probably going to give them a little bit more benefit of the doubt. Chipotle almost turned into an online joke. Oh, I'm going to Chipotle, <laughs> even though E. coli is yeah, existing sure. there. It's worth the risk, but yeah. Well, and that's what the John Oliver piece kind of harped on. Oh, yeah. It's really, really funny to see like there were the consumers talking about like, yeah, I'm still going to go. It's my dirty <laughs> secret. I love Chipotle no matter what. Shares of Ultra Petroleum up 51% today, but please do not get your hopes up because even with that move, Ultra Petroleum stock is down more than 85% year to date. What is going on with this company, Taylor? Um, talks of about bumping up against debt covenants this quarter, maybe next quarter. This um, is an ENP? Uh, yeah, so they're 93% natural gas, 7% oil. Okay. Um, even though the name Ultra Petroleum, you might think it's an oil company, but um, largely drilling and producing natural gas. Um, you look at the history of this company over the last decade. It's around a two and a half billion dollar market cap in 2004, 13 billion and above in 2008. Now Friday's close around 30 million dollar market cap. Oh my God! So it, it's been a rough, it's been a rough uh, seven or eight years for this company, uh, and that's largely to do with the natural price of natural gas spiking above 10, 12 dollars uh, per million B, British thermal unit, which is million BTU, um, and and since then it's. Largely been below three, oftentimes below two dollars. So, the last seven years have been extremely tough. Not to produce natural gas, but to produce it and make money while doing so. So, because on Friday it had a market cap of thirty million, does that mean someone else (laughs) is looking at them and thinking about picking them up on the cheap? I I can't imagine not. I mean, they have they have some decent assets. They're still working on a few different basins that they're. That they're drilling in, um, talking about using some enhanced recovery techniques such as water flooding to drive much cheaper growth in these in these regions. Um, but when you talk about a company 
they, they hired some folks to go in and talk about restructuring the debt, maybe a bankruptcy, some equity swaps in, included there. So, a lot of questions about this company's balance sheet. And they, I believe um, last week, they used up the remainder of their credit facility. So, they're completely tapped out. Wow. I'm not buying. I mean, I just you know <laughs> you, you don't want a 45 percent boost. Is, this is where you yeah. This <laughs> is eight percent. I would I would recommend to nobody no, 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 to no, go no. out there and try to play this thinking there was some catalyst that moves this thing forward. I mean I, I I think if you try getting in on this one, you you better go in fully ready to lose all of your money. It better be complete spare change. Yeah yeah absolutely. Marketfoolery at fool com is our email address. From Salvatore Miragliotti, whose name I'm absolutely butchering. I'm sorry, Salvatore. Uh, in New Jersey, he writes, I think Boston Beer Company is great, but I'm concerned that they're going to keep losing market share unless they acquire craft breweries into their great portfolio. I have a theory that they will merge with Yingling once Mr. Uh, Yingling gives Mr. Cook the <laughs> go ahead. But this is purely a theory, and then he adds parenthetically, I also thought Radio Shack was going to get bought out by Amazon before I started listening to your show, and I lost a lot on that bet. What do you think is the best move for Boston Beer with the increased competition, perhaps a merge with Constellation Brands? I am in this for the long haul, but just trying to figure them out. Uh, Great question. Jason, we talked about this on the radio show last week. Is a Yingling merger or even a merger with the likes of Constellation Brands? I mean, you're you're someone who is a longtime fan of this company. You study yeah. it closely. Do either of those get you interested or make you think, yeah, this is? I would be happy if done correctly or or structured correctly. This was the move. Um, yeah, I mean, I am a big fan of the company. Uh, brought it over to the watch list in million dollar portfolio. We um, just. Bought shares in million dollar portfolio. I own shares myself, and I drink the beer all the time. Except for now. I mean, I'm not drinking it right now. I've got water. But, <laughs> you got some sparkling water. Um, over there. It's. I mean, it is a very, very well run company. It is a really, really quality business. But they are running into a situation here where, of course, the the craft brew market is far more competitive now than it ever has been, which is. Great for beer drinkers. I mean, it's a lovely time to be a beer drinker right now. I mean, you can you can try you can go out every day probably and get something brand new. Um, so I I would be surprised if if Boston Beer and Yingling merged. One thing I've seen in interviews with Jim Cook, who's the founder of the business and still the chairman, uh, he's talked a lot about foreign interests that have uh, offered to to buy Boston Beer because they're not subject to the same tax. Uh, issues here that that uh, alcohol companies are. So you saw recently with with Constellation, for example, Constellation just bought uh, Ballast Point, which is a you know, local craft brewer out in California, much much smaller than Boston Beer, and, and very levered to California. I might add, two more than half their sales come from California. Constellation just bought Ballast Point for one billion dollars, which is basically about half the size of Boston Beer at this point. Boston Beer is a little bit more than twice that size. But but it just goes to show you, I think that that was a very very optimistic offer in my book. I mean, I think Ballast Point makes fine beer, but they don't have the numbers to support that valuation, and I'm not sure that they will actually be able to get them given this market. I do think that Salvador is is smart there in saying that they will continue to acquire new craft brands to go under that Boston beer umbrella because they have that subsidiary. Uh, Alchemy and Science, which is where they are bringing in new small craft brewers to give them the capital and the distribution to really kind of do their thing. And you see like Coney Island Brewery and Concrete Beach, 
names like that that are that are uh, gaining gaining some headway in the market. So I, I think they'll continue to do that in order to execute their strategy of growing, along with the fact that I think that Boston beers it has kind of gotten sort of out of the craft beer uh, realm because they sell so much of it. It's a bit more of a common name now. I think really there are opportunities in the better beer. It's kind of convincing those folks out there who are drinking Budweiser or Coors Light or whatever it is that hey, you know, there's a Samuel Adams Light or there's a you know Boston Lager here, which is a much more flavorful option. So I think they have a lot of different ways they can continue to gain share. I do think that ultimately this is a business that probably gets acquired at some point once Jim Cook decides he's kind of had his fill. And I think that acquisition will come at a premium. And this is a business they built up for a long time here, a wonderful distribution network, a very, very positive brand in the industry. And Jim Cook is a friend of the craft brew industry. I mean, it's it's not not uh, not to be taken lightly. The fact it's not that an he's, adversarial relationship. No, it's not really. And I mean, I think you know a lot of people don't know about this kind of stuff. But but during times of hop shortages, for example, uh, Jim Jim Cook is is reached out to fellow craft brewers and said, Hey, listen, we have. Plenty of supply here. You can you can have this at cost. You know we we can we can make sure to take care of you guys. So I think he's someone who's really uh, you know been a pivotal part of the growth of this industry. I think that'll that'll continue to stay uh, that way until he decides he's at his fill. It, I mean the craft the craft brew growth is astronomical. You look yeah. at 2015. I don't have the exact numbers, but in 2014 you saw over 600 new breweries open up. That includes brew pubs. Uh, Six million barrel growth in terms of barrels of craft beer produced, over 16 million. So um, now to 22 million in 2014. I'm sure that grew even more in 2015. And acquisition makes the most sense because um, you look at these big brewers. Number one competition is craft breweries, and a lot of these aren't going to move the needle for AB InBev or SAB Miller, but Boston Beer most certainly would. Yeah, and it wasn't all that long ago where craft brew actually overtook. Um, Budweiser domestically in barrels shipped per year. So I mean, you can see the numbers are plain as day. Mm-hmm. It's just there is there is a lot in the way of craft brew out there today. So it's it's going to be you're going to see some consolidation, I think, over the next decade, and uh, you know we'll, we'll see the the winners sort of rise to the top. And Boston Beer, I think, is going to be seen as as one of one of those businesses that helps bring a lot of those a lot of those successful operations up. Have either of you been to Yingling in Central Pennsylvania? I have not. No. So about. Ten years ago, I was up there with a few of my friends, and I'm not a beer drinker, but we we did the tour, and it was it was great. It was just a fantastic tour, very interesting. One of the things I remember is that during Prohibition, Yingling started manufacturing ice cream. Huh. So it's like, oh, okay, and then but then we sort of pulled our tour guide aside and said, wait a second. <laughs> was it really ice cream? Because they were uh, across the street from the main entrance to the brewery. Is this, and this was ten years ago. So at the t- at the time, it was empty. And they said that's where the ice cream shop was, and going on to explain how during Prohibition, and it's like, okay, I get that they had ice cream, but what's how- that door in the back? <laughs> yeah, but how much? Like, was it just for show? Like, yeah, let's have this ice cream shop, and we'll sell it here, and we'll have ice cream trucks. We'll repaint them. If but you ask on. for the right flavor, yeah. you get a beer. And a little wink and a smile, and yeah, it seemed like that might have been the case. <laughs> uh, from Steve Wilson in Ohio, I haven't heard you speak about Kit Kats lately, so it must be time to bring them back in the news. And he included a link to a story that earlier this month in Japan, Nestle, which owns Kit Kat, Nestle started selling a new sake. Flavored Kit Kat. What? Soggy it to me, man. <laughs> Described <laughs> as chocolate powers. with the mellow body and smooth aftertaste of sake. Huh. 
Now, it's been a really long time since I've had sake. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, I, if I've smooth been, aftertaste is not what I remember. I, I don't know. I, I like sake. Was, I was going to say, it's been a while for me, but I, maybe it was because it was warm. I mean, yeah. it was relatively smooth going down. I mean, it wasn't like it was all that. Uh, well, the good stuff you're supposed to be able, you're supposed to drink warm. The, yeah. It's the cold stuff you try to kill the flavor of. Sake flavored Kit Kat. I'm, my interest is. I'm, I'd like to hear more. You know what? It's, Instead of uh, chopsticks on your beer glass when you do your sake slams, you just use these chocolate Kit Kats. <laughs> just a nice reminder that innovation does not only happen in the technology space. <laughs> it's also happening in the food well space. Said. Thanks for being here, guys. Thank mm-hmm. you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.